Adventures in time and space told in future tense. All radio is dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Look, there comes one of them now. Hello there, I'm Kyle. I'm Brad. Risen from the coffin, we are Nosferadudes. So how's it going? This is our first episode. Um, I teased this uh, show a little bit on uh, our my other podcast with my wife, Liminal Unlimited, our, our sister podcast. And basically, uh, Brad and I have been friends for how long? Ooh, how old are we? 38 years. So we've been friends for 38 years, and our favorite thing in the world to do is watch scary movies. Absolutely. And so, you know, sitting around uh, thinking of things to do to pass away uh, our middle-aged years, I thought, (laughs) wouldn't it be fun if we, you know, took our... Because every Friday night, we watch a scary movie, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you are correct. That's that's your cue to talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, except when uh, Joe Bob Briggs and The Last Drive-In are on, and then every Friday night then, we're watching that. Um, but basically, right. it was this was like a COVID thing. We we started with COVID. Um, yep. Watching, doing, you know, getting on uh, Facebook Messenger. Um, not a sponsor. And we we started watching movies and shooting the shit like we have done for 38 years. And I thought, well, like, okay, you know, I'm kind of wanting to get into the podcast game. You know, what what could I do? And really when it boiled down to it, the only thing that things that interest me are horror movies and weird shit. So, uh, you know, and with Jenny being into weird shit, that kind of fit. So we started doing Liminal Unlimited. And then I thought... Box checked. <laughs> and then I thought you and I could uh, yeah. could get into doing some, some horror movie uh, chit-chat. Other box checked. <laughs> so... Uh, so then we, we talked about, well, like, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do for, for our first episode? And I remember you said, go big or go home. <laughs> like, let's, let's. Did I say that? I say a lot of things. <laughs> I might have paraphrased. Yeah. But, but basically it was like, you know, yeah, we, we got to start with our favorite of all time, the granddaddy we feel of like all this mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, John Carpenter's Halloween. 1978 sure Sure. but then i thought like well you know the halloween movies and i'm not i didn't come up with this but i thought it like it's the greatest description ever is halloween unlike some of the other franchises you've got friday the 13th nightmare on elm street scream all that but halloween is the most choose your own adventure of all of them because it has been reimagined and rebooted yep. and reiterated yep. sure. so many times. 
And I thought, well, okay, if we're going to go and we're going to go back to, to do Halloween, let's do these arcs, these adventures. And so if you're going to do the original Halloween, then you might as well stick with the Laurie Strode story arc, Jamie Lee Curtis's character. So with that comes Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween H2O 20 years later, and our absolute favorite Halloween resurrection. <laughs> Would that be an honest? <laughs> I, I don't know what to say when it comes to Halloween resurrection. It is um, probably the worst of the franchise or is five the worst of the franchise? I, I go back and forth. But since we're talking about the original Laurie Strode timeline, I would say that obviously Resurrection is the the worst one. Yeah, I would I would go far enough to say it's probably the worst of all of them, because there's at least things about five that you can kind of enjoy. the 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 kills are pretty decent. Um, five has has its moments. It certainly does. I mean that the whole scene where he has the mask on, the other mask on, the the old man, right? Yeah, with like he's a cigar in the car or something. He's in the car and uh, he's chasing down the kids in the car. Yeah, uh, that's that's probably one of the best scenes of the movie. Um, but that was that was a good one. But Resurrection has no redeeming qualities about it. No, um, no. Aside and- from obviously, Busta Rhymes is. <laughs> You know, I mean, he's, he's, is he worth the uh, price of admission? His lip curling overacting. <laughs> so, so let's get into it. So, uh, Halloween, the original Halloween, the night he came home came out in 1978. And, uh, and right away, I mean, we, we say Halloween, but it's specifically John Carpenter's Halloween. He fought hard to get his name above the title of the movie like he was like oh, i'm not gonna do it if you don't give me what i think i'm due sure um it was filmed in southern california in uh, may of 1978 and then premiered in october of that year that's how quick they turned this this movie around mm. um and it grossed 70 million dollars becoming one of the most profitable independent films of all time and considered by many to be one of the greatest and most influential horror films ever made. Spawned 13, a 13 film franchise, as well as a video game, a novelization, and a comic book series. And of course it starred the incomparable and now Oscar winner, Jamie Lee Curtis, as the main character Laurie Strode. Um, and Donald Pleasance at the time actually got the top billing. Donald Pleasance as Dr. Samuel Loomis. He was the sure. most known bankable actor sure. in the film. And, and to be honest, I mean, I think they were like super lucky to have him. Like, I don't think you get the, the traction out of the franchise <clears throat> if you don't have Donald Pleasance playing that character. Yeah. And, I agree. uh, of course, we've got uh, P.J. Souls is in there as Linda. <laughs> I had to, actually had to look up her full name. Her full name, uh, as credited, is Linda Vanderklok. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Totally. <laughs> you, you learn something new every day. I did not know that. I really didn't. And of course, you got the other uh, best friend, Nancy Nancy Loomis, playing Annie Brackett. And then um, you got the kids, which nobody really cares about. <laughs> you got Brian Andrews playing Tommy Dole, Kyle Richards of the most recent uh, Real Housewives fame as Lindsay Wallace, the other the other little kid that's being babysat, and um, and of course uh, you have he not my, he's not Michael Myers in the originals. He's the shape. And uh, there were actually um, a couple of guys that played him. There, there was Nick Castle. Nick Castle's the most known in the film. He does all the parts where he's just like slowly walking and stalking and doing all that stuff. But, um, but Tommy Lee Wallace, who was uh, one of the assistants on the movie, he actually had to step in and play the shape a couple of times, um, especially like the, the most... The one that I know of especially is where he's breaking through the closet to get her in the closet near the end. That's Tommy Lee Wallace doing that. Right. Yep. Um, but yeah, and then and then Michael Myers, the actual Michael Myers, when he's unmasked, that was a guy named Tony Moran, who's actually the brother of Aaron Moran from Happy Days. Right. And then there's a little as a little kid. Uh, uh, Michael Myers, which I didn't even look up. I didn't bother to look up who the little kid Michael Myers was. Ah, that poor little kid. Um, but I will mention because he, he stands out. At least I know in 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 our minds, um, Brent LePage is fucking Lonnie. <laughs> Get your ass away from that! <laughs> fucking Lonnie. Ah, uh, Lonnie. <laughs> who who later in the David Gordon Green ones becomes like best buddies with Tommy Doyle, right? The one guy played Lonnie. Very weird. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was quite the twist. <laughs> so yeah, so um little more just a little backstory here. Uh so Assault on Precinct 13 uh was shown at the Milan Film Festival, and that's where Irwin uh I'm not sure if it's Yablins or Yablins and Mustafa Akkad, they saw Assault on Precinct 13 at the Milan Film Festival, and that they then called Carpenter like, hey, we want you to make a movie for us. Like, we love that movie. We want, but we want a movie about a psychotic killer that stalks babysitters. <laughs> so Carpenter signed on. He asked for a couple of big asks. You know, he, he wanted more money than they originally wanted to give. He wanted his name above the title. Um, you know, he already had in his mind, like, I'm going to be big. <laughs> and so I want I want this, this, and this. And if, I, if you don't get it, then I'm walking. I, I don't care. I don't care about right. some movie with about killing babysitters. I'll go do something else. Right. He really is. He's like. Uh, did he say that, though? Or did you maybe, I don't know. Put those words no no he he really originally had no problem like just walking away and going and doing another project like it was not it eventually became like halloween is now going to be his legacy um but i mean he he was a he wanted to be a working director he had other projects in his head obviously he has a penchant for horror 
you know mm-hmm. i mean he's done so many horror movies that's that's his wheelhouse that's what he loves to do he likes to scare people likes to you know do do some blood and gore s- stuff here and there um but uh, but yeah he's like i'll just go do something else you know but mm-hmm. they they gave him what he wanted and so uh he he also i mean they got like the the triple package with him he wrote directed and scored the movie and then right. um you know, produced it with his producing partner, Deborah Hill. Yep. And, um, and now he was, he was interested in doing the story. Um, you know, he, he, he did, he did want to really do a good job. Once he got the job, he wanted to do a good job on it. And there's some evidence from interviews that he's done that it basically was inspired as like a sequel almost to Black Christmas, like in the original kind of treatments of this whole thing, when they were in the early stages of developing it, it was like, oh, Black Christmas and then Halloween. It was inferred that because the killer isn't caught at the end of Black Christmas, that maybe he comes back at Halloween. And they were going to like turn it into like a holiday, you know, every every holiday you get a, a movie about this killer. Um, luckily enough, that didn't that didn't uh, develop. Um, you can still see the similarities between Black Christmas and Halloween. Oh, when yeah. you watch the the two movies, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was heavily, heavily influenced by Black yeah. Christmas. And and um, I, I probably have a note in here somewhere, but actually, John Carpenter reached out to Bob Clark, uh, who the director of um, Black Christmas, also the director of A Christmas Story. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, right. yep. The guy has a thing for christmas and he doesn't care which end of the spectrum he's on with it (laughs) i love it all (laughs) but he actually reached out to bob clark to ask him for some like advice and pointers on like you know certain aspects of the story and and developing it um but yeah so that's really all i have on the the background um you know let's get into talking about the the movie um, so it opens in Haddonfield, Illinois on Halloween night, 1963. And right away, what's the first thing that grabs your attention about it when it starts? That it's in first person. Right, right. That's, you know, you actually see through, which was something that was, uh, used in, in earlier films, but John Carpenter, um, I think this is one of the best usages of that first person killer perspective because of the Were you fact- testing me? <laughs> that felt like a that felt like a test question. Pop quiz hot shot. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. But a little bit. It was a little bit. Hoping I, I was hoping I got the right answer. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's great because uh it's not until the it they get all the way the the first person perspective shot whoever you're supposed to be it's not until the camera gets all the way into the house and then you watch the drawer open and this little hand grabs the big butcher knife and whose hand was that that was actually deborah hills i believe it was because she had tiny little childlike hands. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they weren't going to let the little kid grab like a giant butcher knife and you know stroll around the house. 
That was a, it was like a complex shot. Couldn't, that, couldn't get that waiver signed. <laughs> yeah, the kid's parents were like, "Nah, nah, we're not gonna." Nah, nah, we're nah not. he has trouble with knives. We're not gonna. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> came after me the other day. So, no knives. I used. I we've used taken to have, away. We've taken away the knives. I, so. I used to have two pinkies. <laughs> well. <it's- laughs> But yeah, so, but then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God. And you see like the sleeve, it's a costume. And you're like, you don't know what the costume is yet, but you know, it's a costume. And you're like, oh my God, this is like a little kid. And it's just, I I think that's maybe a moment that slips past a couple people, but it's like, it's pretty amazing. Like he, even there, he's like looking at how do we reveal small things that build up to the horror that's about to happen. Um, but beyond just that, there's one of the most debated, (laughs) the big debated questions. (laughs) I I know what you're going to say. You're going to talk about the time it takes the (laughs) gentleman with, uh, uh, Michael's sister to, uh, go upstairs and then come back downstairs fully dressed, uh, in the time it takes Michael to walk through the house. So, right. And I timed it. I think we t- we timed it, didn't we? Do this? Well, we we did like a count. I actually got a stopwatch out when I rewatched it, and I timed it. And yep. it's one minute and seven seconds. Is it that long? Yeah, I didn't even think it was that long. Yep. From the from the time the light goes out in Judith Meyer's room to when yep. her boyfriend is heard saying, oh, "I really have to go." <laughs> <laughs> And and I then I looked it up. I thought, well, well, one minute seven seconds. Like, well, what what is like the average? And on average, it takes most men at least set five to seven minutes to finish the deed. And you're talking about the deed. You're talking about just the deed itself. You're not talking about the time it took him to go upstairs, get undressed, get into bed. <laughs> Then get his clothes back on coming down the stairs. That right. was all in that minute and seven seconds that you were talking about. <laughs> right. You're talking about five to seven minutes completely while you're already in bed doing right. the deed. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the one minute, right. seven seconds is very gracious to, <laughs> to him. Now, did you, is that five to seven minutes um, taken from a survey of teenagers? Because you got to remember the kid, the guy was 17 years old. I mean, come on. I mean, remember when we were 17. Yeah. I, I just got uh, statistics on just average men. Uh, I think you need to do a deeper dive. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll look up. I'm the trying literature. to give the guy, listen, I am trying to give the guy the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> um. So then, so then we, we get the, the, the amazing, uh, Panaglide Steadicam shot, um, mm. which they talked about. That took them like hours and hours to set that up. They had to run through it yep. a bunch of times because they were literally like the entire crew. You don't see anybody, but the entire crew is in that house, moving things out of the way, skirting around the camera, like doing different things to make that shot work. And then the only way they did, they actually had, um, and I wish I had looked up her name, but they they had one female camera operator, and she was uh, petite enough, 
and she worked that Panaglide camera through the house. So she's slipping in and amongst all these like big, you know, burly dudes to get that amazing shot. Um, so that's like super impressive. Were they um, all big burly dudes though? Well, you know, I mean, it's 78. I'm I sure think you just, I'm sure most of that was bell bottom. <laughs> I was wondering, it's just like a bunch of big burly dudes in this woman. <laughs> so we get the murder of Judith Myers. Michael! <laughs> we get That's the murder of Judith Myers. There, and it's behind the mask. You know, we, we see him pick up the, the kid's mask, the clown mask, and put it on. And yep. we have the murder through the eyes of the mask. And then, uh, then we cut to outside the house. Parents come home. Michael's out there. He's got this blank catatonic expression. He's holding the bloody knife. And that's like the big opening of the movie. Now we cut to Smith's Grove, Illinois, October 30th, 1978. And who do we see? Who who do we see on that night? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well, we see Loomis and we see the nurse. Yeah, Nurse Chambers. Nurse Chambers. Yep. Driving in the car. On the way to, uh, well, what's the hospital? It's not Smith's Grove. Yeah, it's Smith's Grove, yep. Uh, it is Smith's Grove, yeah, right. Yep. So we see that, uh, them driving up to the gate, and then we see, obviously, the escaped patients out in the rain. So, yeah, we see Loomis and Nurse Chambers. They're driving in a rainstorm, and uh, you get the gist from the conversation that they're they're going there to pick someone up and and nurse chambers is very flippant about the whole thing she's like well he hasn't spoken in a word in 15 years can i can i interject a second yeah um because you moved right past something that i just wanted to touch on that i never quite understood so go back to the shot where you know it's panning away from the parents who just discovered michael is you know he's holding the knife outside right so presumably they're the parents, right? Yeah. Okay. So the the father is kind of standing there, like, but he's leaned over. He's engaged at least in what he is seen with Michael holding the knife. The mom is standing there with her hands in her pockets, just kind of kind of standing there, like. She's tired. Hey. She's tired. She She's she, tired. Her her son just walked out of the house and has a big bloody knife in hey. his hand. Hey, Rob Zombie showed just, Rob Zombie showed us. She just came off the pole at the Red Rabbit. <laughs> I, no. Wow. Oh boy. That's another episode. <laughs> right, right. We'll get into all of that. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> That's going to be my favorite episode too. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, cuz I have lots to say about <laughs> Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween 2, and I have lots to say about Halloween 3, which is going to be another episode. <laughs> I'm assuming. We can yeah, we can. Which by the way, uh part 3 is Jack's favorite. <laughs> that breaks my heart yeah my my son jack he he uh he just told me i was watching resurrection 
and he came down and got something to drink and was heading back to his room to get back online with his buddies. And he saw it. He's like, which, he's like, which one is this? And I'm like, oh, it's Resurrection. It's like the worst one. And Jack says, you know, he's like, I really like part three. And he's like, which one is that? And I'm like, Season of the Witch. And he says, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, at least stuff happens in that. He goes, it's not just the same guy coming back and killing kids and he stabs him with a knife. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you prefer kids getting well, their faces melted off. <laughs> well, I suppose if he describes it that way, I mean, what are we even doing this podcast for? <laughs> I'm just going to take these, uh, these headphones off and call it a day. Um. Well, it's funny to, to, to go back to the narrative uh, and talking about the Red Rabbit Lounge. That's one of the, the strangest kind of setups is like Loomis like sees this this matchbook for the Red Rabbit Lounge sitting on Nurse Chambers' dashboard. Right. And you don't really know, like, like why does he focus on it so hard? Why, you know, and then... Um, I never, I never even really realized. Like later on, it's the way he identifies where's Mike, where Michael has been, because he finds that same matchbook in the Phelps garage truck. Oh, see, I thought that Loomis kind of had this double life where he's spending <laughs> a lot of time in this lounge, and you know. I, I, but I, knew, I, I, that's what I thought. It. I knew Michael Myers' mother. <laughs> Oh, I knew her. She danced beautifully. <laughs> like an angel. <laughs> that, that, that's a little too Hannibal Lecter-ish. <laughs> um, so then we get the, we get the great scene of, of Michael escaping. Um, and, uh, and, and at the end of Michael escaping, we get one of the best lines uh, ever. What, what does Loomis shout as he finds Nurse Chambers in the gully? The evil is gone. Yeah. The evil is gone from yeah, here. Yeah, he's gone from here. The evil is gone. The evil is gone. Yep. <laughs> yep. I feel like you keep peppering me with these questions. <laughs> hey, man. We're just talking. We're just chatting. <laughs> um, so now, of course, we get to Halloween, uh, the day of Halloween proper, and um, <laughs> filmed... Filmed not in Illinois, or in what, or in Haddonfield, New Jersey, which what Haddonfield was based on. It's yeah. filmed where? Los Angeles, now, Pasadena, which is part of Los Angeles, Pasadena. but beautiful Pasadena, oh. California, and um, the trees are all green, and there's. There's there's palm trees. There are palm trees in the back <laughs> in the distance, which aren't in Illinois. And all the bushes and all the grass and all the leaves on the trees a, are all green. It's a guy mowing. Are, uh, for some reason, there's just a scattering of brown leaves that are on the lawns that are just blowing. Yeah. Right, right, and the leaves that they had to pick up and move from shot to shot out on the street. Am I? Am I wrong that uh, Robert England was one of the people that had to move? That's what I've heard, that he was them? a production assistant on the movie. Yep. And so he was one of the guys moving leaves around. Right. Um, but yeah, it was the, so every shot that you see where there's brown leaves like drifting along the ground, 
that's the same leaves that you saw in the shot just not too long before. <laughs> yes, yes. They just had bags of they had garbage bags of leaves that they just scattered on the lawns. Yep. Um so we we see Lori, um, you know, and she's she's walking to school. She's uh she's uh walking with uh with Tommy initially. And um you know, she has to drop the key. Her dad's the the real estate agent, and she has to drop the key off at the Myers house. And we get the one shot from inside the doorway, and you hear the breathing. And so it's like, well, Michael's already, he's home. He's already mm-hmm. in the house. Sure. Yep. And it's like, that's where he first sees her and gets fixated on her, mm. you know? Yep. And we don't see his hands, you know, the whole time. So. <laughs> right, right. We just hear we we hear the heavy breathing, and we don't see his hands. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not, you know. And uh, yeah, if this had been really the sequel to Black Christmas, you would have heard him quietly inside going, "You little pig, <laughs> you, little, you little fucking pig." <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that's where also the, the scene where we get her walking to school and she sings the very haunting, but totally made up on the spot song. Uh, I wish you had, I wish I had you all alone, which then David Gordon Green, like wonderfully, like one of the great things he did was bring that back in, Mm -hmm. in his series of movies. Um, and one of the good things, one of the good things. There were some not so good things. That's another episode. <laughs> Stay tuned. And then, of course, we get uh, like every one of these movies, like in one of any one of these franchises, has to have the classroom scene. Sure. And man, I don't, I'm not sure who the extra was. I don't know if it was if it was Deborah Hill or somebody, but whoever's doing the voiceover of the teacher. <laughs> Yes. is hitting that word fate so hard. <laughs> fate. He's talking about fate. Fate. Destiny. <laughs> yes, he was definitely talking about fate. <laughs> um, and, of course, the, the shape is uh, parked outside the school, you know, just waiting for Lori to get out of school. Um, and then, of course, we get uh, the first introduction of uh, the other name for Michael Myers, uh, the Boogeyman. And that's where fucking Lonnie and his two little buddies are bullying Tommy Doyle. Boogeyman, Boogeyman, Boogeyman's going to get you. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I, I think they'll ease up on Lonnie, though. You know, I... <laughs> You don't know what Lonnie's going through at home, right? You know, he might have a dad that's putting cigarettes out on his arm. And, oh, man. You know, well, you don't know, do you? And and Lonnie's just taking this out. On... Inside, inside every bully is a bullied child. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So, I, you know, I'm just saying, let's ease up on Lonnie a little bit, okay? And, then, of course, they, they crush his jack-o'-lantern. Like what a bunch of douchebags! Well, that Tommy crushed his jack o' lantern. <laughs> that's what they. Yeah, that's what they he, told it. He, 
He fell. <laughs> yeah, that's what they told the teachers, you know. I mean, he hey, just, Tommy he fell. <laughs> Tommy, why'd you do that? Why'd you crush your jack o' lantern, man? You know what, Tommy? Watch where you're going, bud. <laughs> you know, you could have tripped me, Tommy. <laughs> you could have tripped me. <laughs> right. I right. just have great right. balance. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and so we get, uh, and Michael Myers follows him briefly and it's never like clear why, like it's never clear why, like I know he sees Tommy with Lori earlier on, but we don't get a clear reason why he like, he seems to for a moment be very interested in Tommy and, and kind of the nice thing about it is John Carpenter doesn't really kind of give any kind of context for that or explain why, like you're allowed, you're allowed to make your own assumptions because well that that's it because it was more about michael and it was more about um him being this kind of stalker mental patient you know and it wasn't really specifically focused on laurie that was that didn't come until the second one yeah just you know so when he was writing this he didn't really have that in mind so i that's how people go back from the second one and then on with the Laurie Strode timeline and kind of try to fit that back in, you know, into the original where, Oh, he must've been doing this because Laurie is Michael's sister, but that's, that's not the case. He didn't have that in mind until they made him do that in the second one. Right. Right. Well, they make him do it. He, he made it up, but yeah, they wanted a twist or something. Yeah. 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 And we'll get into that with the second one. Carpenter, you know, didn't even really, didn't even really want to do the second one, but he wrote it. He agreed to write it, you know. He did. So then uh, Loomis finds the Phelps garage truck. The Phelps the Phelps driver is the first guy to actually die in the film. We see his, his body, his stripped body, laying in some tall grass. Um, so we're, we're left to infer that that's where Michael got his, you know, jumpsuit, his coveralls from was from the tow truck driver or not tow truck just a pickup guy, truck first guy to to die in the film yeah he's the he's the first person to get that you see like that he murdered well other oh sorry well, except for he Judith murdered Myers. his sister yeah the first new one <laughs> first seat yeah right ex- except for, for the very first scene of the movie first kill of 1978 <laughs> <laughs> Michael writes it down in right, his little book. Right, yeah, the, the 78 version <laughs> yeah, of Michael. Michael writes it down in his little book, 1978, right. first kill, yeah. Phelps driver. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and, then, uh, and then we finally meet Lori's two uh, best friends, Linda and... Uh, Annie. And Annie, Annie. Annie Brackett. And, uh, and, and this is where we get the... You know, PJ Souls is one of those actresses that even when she's like, even in like Carrie, when she's playing an asshole, you still kind of like PJ Souls. <laughs> sure. She's like, a she can play a lovable she's, asshole or a lovable ditzy she's friend. very bright. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so, yeah. So we get the, the totally, <laughs> like, I, I don't know what, why they made that her, like her, like character quirk, but just. Well, because she's a Valley girl, right? Isn't that the Valley Girl speak? Well, they're in Illinois. Why would there oh, be yeah. a Valley Girl? There? Well, they're not in Illinois. They're in. Although I will say, I will Illinois, say, they're in Los Angeles. Uh, but yeah, 
John Carpenter specifically, when it came to the dialogue for the girls, he had Deborah Hill write all that dialogue because he rightfully so recognized, like, I can't get into that. Like, I don't know the internal dialogue conversations of teenage girls. And so Deborah Hill basically wrote that based on stuff that her and her friends used to say to each other and talk about when they were growing up in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Well, there you go. The Valley Girl thing got all the way to New Jersey. So. <laughs> you know, and then we get the uh, the speed kills, and he, he stopped. That's like classic teenage stuff. He stops the car, and they freak out for a second, like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I did that. Remember when I did that when we were kids? Yep, yep. <laughs> um, then, then the, the classic. Came back and went- we get the classic shot of Michael behind the bush. That's like that's like iconic. Him stepping out from behind that that tall hedge. Sure. Um, and then uh, right after that, as distracted Lori is walking further down the street, she runs into Sheriff Brackett, and we get one of the other iconic lines from the franchise. What is it? Oh. <laughs> um. Everybody deserves a good scare. Yeah, it's Halloween. It's, Everybody deserves a good scare. It's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Right. Entitled <laughs> to one good scare. Oh, um, man, <laughs> I gotta have my uh, IMDb up. Hold on. <laughs> um. So yeah. So then you know we get another shot of Michael. You know he's obviously stalking Lori. He's you know hanging out in the sheets outside appearing and disappearing doing kind of classic horror movie stuff um and then we get uh one of the best uh <laughs> one of the best little drives ever where uh annie and Lori annie picks Lori up and they're driving uh through town and now this scene is just absurd because <laughs> i <laughs> You know, as someone who partakes, right? So they're obviously smoking a joint in the car. They stop um, and see Sheriff Brackett. And they stop and they open up the window. And he sticks his head in the car. And he can't smell it? He's got COVID. (laughs) What kind of cop is this guy? I know, right? And uh, well, that doesn't make sense. And I think, uh, you know, that's. I think people bring that up, right? Well, and Am I, I the only person that ever brought that up. I I think I can't remember, but I think I don't know if it was a discussion we had or if I just saw this online, but somebody uh, at some point brought up the idea that that maybe that was like maybe Sheriff Brackett partakes. Maybe you know he's a he's a cop. Maybe he confiscates it a lot. Maybe that's it from his stash. Maybe he lets Annie dip. <laughs> but it's so ridiculous that you have to make that kind yeah. of interpretation to make it make sense. Right. Because otherwise it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so that always bothered me, but yep. So let's kind of jump forward. I mean, Carpenter does a lot of great stuff, you know. He he's got Michael throughout the movie. Yada yada yada. The end of the movie. (laughs) 
he's got Michael throughout the movie. You know, he he's appearing, he's disappearing, he's showing up just in the edge of the foreground, like you're looking from his perspective, or he's way in the background. You just see the face appear like in a window for a moment. Um, John Carpenter does it. The other directors in the franchise try, have tried to copy what he did, but but he really did it the the absolute best like working with that camera and making it feel like Michael is like almost always like he's like omnipresent he's always on the periphery he's always there you just don't know where well that's the beauty of carpenter is he's the best at setting atmosphere i mean he he's brilliant at it so um you can tell the difference between when he does it and when someone tries to copy that um, but the whole scene with Annie um, babysitting and she's on the phone and she's talking to Paul. Paul. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Paul. <laughs> right. <laughs> My Paul. And she's, she's walking back and forth and she's on the phone and there's the glass window in the back or the doors um, behind her. And she, as she's walking, there's nothing there. And then as she's walking back the other way, you see Michael standing there. So, yeah, and I mean, when that, that whole that's one of the there's a couple sequences, but that's one of the sequences where he is building the tension so perfectly right. because she she's crossing the yard. You're expecting any minute that he's going to jump out. Mm-hmm. You think he's in the laundry thing. You think, you know, mm-hmm. um, and every time you think it's about to happen, it doesn't happen. And then, you know, it's not until. She goes, she's going to go pick up Paul and she goes to get in the car. The car is locked. And this is, this is something that I, I know for a fact, a lot of people miss. She goes to get in the car and the car is locked. So she has to go back to the house to get the keys. And Mm -hmm. when she comes back to the car, she just opens the door. She opens the door. Yeah. It's open. And then she notices that the windows are fogged up. Right. And that's because he's been sitting in the car and his breath and the heat from his body in the cold night is fogging up all the windows. And, of course, then she gets, you know, strangled, um, which even the use of the, the fogged up glass is great because, you know, you see Michael, you see the white mask, but mm-hmm. it's still everything's blurred by the foggy glass. So he, he still looks kind of like a ghost, like a phantom, you know, you're you're not you're almost not sure. Like, you know, this is a real guy. But he seems to be able to almost be kind of ghost-like in the way he does these kills. But it's interesting you just said that because when you talk about the fact that he's a real guy, Carpenter makes him, he actually gets frustrated and slits her throat. Yeah. So he he's grabbing her, he's choking her, and she's not dying. He She continues to fight and fight and fight, and you can hear his breath. <clears throat> like he starts to grunt because he's getting frustrated. And so yep. he just slits her throat and he's not because he's not, you know, the killing machine that he is in the sequels. He's just, a, he's a guy, he's an escaped mental patient. He only has the one kill under his belt. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, then the Phelps garage guy, but you know what I mean? So <clears throat> he's new at this and he, he is real. He's, omnipresent and he's the ghost you know and he's the the shape but at the same time he is that that real guy he's just a guy right and and carpenter is is brilliant at showing kind of both sides of that 
in one scene. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, and then, and then you get, so he's, he's killed Annie. And one thing that struck me, it's, it's a bit of a throwaway scene. You know, the kids are over at, uh, at the house that Lori's babysitting at Tommy Doyle's house. And they're watching scary movies on the TV. And Tommy is trying to scare Lindsay's hiding in the curtains and stuff. And he looks outside and he sees Michael Myers carrying Annie's body down the side of the house, across the street, around the front, up the steps on the lit porch, and into the house. And the part that struck me wasn't Tommy freaking out about it or anything. It's Michael doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> like, Michael Myers doesn't give a fuck who sees him doing his thing. Like, no. He's got no chill. He's like, <laughs> no. You know, like, yep, I'm right out in the front of this house. Anybody could see me doing this, and he just doesn't right. care. And, but we get that, we get that, um, with the scenes from Loomis. So that builds Michael's story as he's talking to Sheriff Brackett and he's going into his big speeches and stuff like that. He's, he kind of builds that as he goes through the, he's talking to the nurse and then he's talking to the guy at the gravesite, And then he's talking to the sheriff. He's building Michael's story and he's building that. Yeah. That really, thing. So. it really is a great um, use of exposition because in the later films, um, and one of the things I noticed, like, especially in the beginning of Resurrection, is they have these scenes in the beginnings of the films where it's, like, just not even secondary. It's, like, tertiary characters who just, like, in a one lump chunk give exposition of who Michael Myers is, what he did, what's going on. Like, they give the whole backstory right up front. Mm -hmm. It's like Basil, right. Basil Exposition showed up. <laughs> <laughs> did someone say Michael Myers? <laughs> yeah. Michael Myers? Do you know who he is? You, you, <laughs> do you mean the boy that in 1963 murdered his sister and was sent to Smith's Grove Asylum for 15 years and then was released in 1978? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and and yeah, he uses he uses Loomis great, you know. Um uh and and Loomis gets the best lines of the movie by far, you know. Death has come to your little town, sheriff. Mm. <laughs> you know. Um yep. and and in response to that, you know, Sheriff Brackett says, "Damn you for letting him go." And you see a look on Loomis's face like that sticks with him. You know. He he well, feels he feels a responsibility. I'm <laughs> well. Thank you for making my point. Um, yeah, no, that was actually something I was hoping that we were going to get into because <clears throat> we always talk about the Loomis character as that Van Helsing to Michael Myers Dracula, right? right. So. He's a Ben, he's the hunter, you know, he's that straight up hunter, evil hunter, and, and he's going after Michael Myers. But I always kind of, and we've talked about this in the past, we, I've always kind of said there was a little bit of Dr. Frankenstein in him. Yeah, I think if you ever go back and, 
and you read the book. So the madness that's taking over Dr. Frankenstein, he feels that heavy responsibility of the monster that's on the loose and he's trying to track him down and he feels guilty. And I always felt like there was a part of Loomis that because he couldn't do his job, really, he couldn't, couldn't reach get him through to Michael. He couldn't get through to him that he always in, in spite of the lines where, you know, I told everybody, I told everybody, I warned everybody. Um, I still feel like he kind of what you're talking about when when Sheriff Brackett does say, damn you for letting him go and it hits him. That's because what you said, he does feel responsible and that that's more that Dr. Frankenstein character than it is the Van Helsing character. Yeah, when I when we were kids and we watched it, that was like the immediate comparison of Van Helsing to Dracula. But watching it now, um, I totally see it as more of a Victor Frankenstein to the monster. Absolutely, absolutely. You know? He didn't yep. he didn't create him, but he couldn't change him or stop him. Right, right. So you know, and and I think and that's one of those layers that like you don't know whether carpenter really knew he was doing that or like you know i mean he he is a great uh, filmmaker um but that may be just one of those weird layers that just worked itself into the the piece you know what i mean mm-hmm. um yeah. so yeah and of course uh you know that what we just talked about the uh, damn you for letting him go that that comes right after uh loomis gets his chuckles scaring lonnie off the porch i knew you were gonna bring that up <laughs> <laughs> Once again, poor Lonnie gets picked on. You know, there has to be a way that Lonnie is like the good guy in this movie. You know, like they did with the Karate Kid, where Johnny was actually the one that was being picked on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's there there's there's a, a narrative out there somewhere where where Lonnie actually was the the good guy. Tommy is the bully. Yeah, Tommy. When Tommy's we were the guy. Tommy, when we were kids. I was always trying to toughen you up, man, because you were, you know, like you weren't ready for the world, man. <laughs> you were, you were brother. And I remember we were going to carve that pumpkin and then you tripped and you fell and you ruined it. Like a fucking idiot. <laughs> Fuck you, Tommy Doyle. <laughs> you ruined Halloween Fuck for you. me. <laughs> Fuck you for making me kick the shit out of you. Um... So yeah, and of course, you know, Lori is, uh, she's the responsible one. She's not off getting nook nook during this whole time. She's watching the kids. Um, and then the, the odd part is there's, there's a phone call to, to the house. Um, and you're left to just assume it must be Paul calling to calling to wonder where Annie is. But like, while Linda and Bob are like screwing around, there's like a rando phone call. And they don't answer it in time, and and you don't really know what it was about. But you just are left to assume, oh, maybe that was Paul. Maybe if they had gotten to it quicker, Paul would have been like, "Hey, where's where's Annie?" You know, and this whole thing would have started to get unraveled earlier. Sure. But you just don't know. Um, then of course you have the classic Bob gets pinned to the wall with the knife. Um, it's a little little goofy. Not sure how he pinned him to that to the wall with that butcher knife but <laughs> i would have thought maybe you'd fall off the wall anyway <laughs> it was a large knife <laughs> but that's when we get the classic what becomes the iconic the head tilt where where as if michael is looking at this what this used to be person 
Like they, mm-hmm. like it's like it's as if Michael. There's there's a, a little bit of a giveaway in the character of like, you know, which all that stuff was all like John Carpenter. He's like, all right, tilt your head in the shot. You know, like when you look at him, tilt your head. <laughs> you know? And Nick Castle's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. But it's like this. You get this idea like um, Michael. Michael doesn't understand people. Michael doesn't like you were just a screaming, struggling thing. Two two seconds you're ago, you were an animal. Yeah, yeah, you're just two seconds ago, and now you're like nothing, or right. Like it's like he doesn't get it, right? Um, and then and then Michael and and he sets the the tone like in the beginning, like that Michael you know can disguise himself in other things, you know he wears the ghost the Bob ghost costume, you know right. to go up and get uh, get Linda. And, um, yeah, and then there's, like, a kind of a funny thing. Like, if you watch the movie, you notice that, like, uh, Laurie Strode gets hotter <laughs> as as the movie goes on. She, she starts out, she's wearing, like, kind of the frumpy skirts and sweaters and all that kind of stuff. And then as the movie oh. progresses, like, yeah. she, she slowly changes and, and ends up in that, like, hot blue shirt with denim jeans you know yeah, that sweater came off. Yeah, that that's kind of become also iconic. Jamie Lee has like reproduced that, you know, in some photographs and stuff. Sure. And um, so it's kind of a weird thing. Like you see Lori for some reason, like, and, and it's I, I'm not sure exactly why Carpenter does it or what the effect is, but she like becomes more like womanly. She goes from like girl to woman through the well, course of the night. Well, I think that falls in with her being you know the survivor of the of the movie she's the strong one so he's building her character up to become the strong one at the end so i think that's all it is yeah so uh let's see what going back to my notes here um oh yeah so loomis sees the 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 station wagon from the hospital out parked on the street so he Mm -hmm. goes into hunt mode He's like, he's here. <laughs> you know? Now he's going into Van Helsing. Yeah, yeah, he does go into Van Helsing there at the end. He's like, he's, he's like hunting yeah. him down. Um, right. and then and then there's uh, one thing I noticed was when Lori, uh, tells the kids to she like the kids are in bed. She goes across the street to investigate because she doesn't know why she hasn't heard from Annie or anybody, and. This is the point where John Carpenter, he cuts the music out. Like, she gets into the house, and he cuts the music completely, and does this... uh, It's edited, it's like a tracking shot, but he cuts back and forth between different perspectives. But there's this long, slow move up the stairs, as she's, like, Mm -hmm. searching through the house. And it's completely silent. Mm -hmm. And, um, And he doesn't hurry with it. And again, that goes back to like, you know, he is that that he was a master at this point of building this tension up. What is she going to, you know, they're dead. You've seen the murders. Yep. But what is she going to find when she gets up to the top of the stairs? Um, One kind of question I always had is why does Michael bring the headstone when she finds uh, Annie? She finds Annie in the bed. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just sprawled out, 
And then mm-hmm. the, the headstone, Judith Meyer's headstone, is yep. at the head of the bed. Right. Uh, and I have no idea why he does that. It's a Halloween prank. <laughs> I'm serious. It's a Halloween prank. <laughs> this is what it is. This is Michael going trick or treat. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. That's exactly what it is. Um, now, in the first one, I don't know how they set it up, but you, even in the um, in the David Gordon Green Halloween, where he has he puts the um, the sheet on the girl, right? Yeah, he covers her up, and um, he put that as a Halloween prank. Like that was that he that the the setup of the gravestone, and then the setup of how the the, the bodies were. In the original Halloween, when you when she yeah, because Linda Linda's hanging and in the closet, finds, and... right? They're they're all staged. Everything is staged. Like he's a he's a he's a psychopathic serial killer. Like he's he's setting this as a stage, and that that was that's part of you know I I think the the whole Halloween part of it. Yeah. So he's doing this on Halloween night. So. Yeah, He's doing it I wonder if it's like prank. there's still like a little piece of like um, some kind of uh, messed up kid in there somewhere. Well, why do you think he? Well, he wears the masks on Halloween, so he. Yeah, there's a whole psychological. Well, there's can, all. Well, he can move freely among yeah. everybody, you know, and no one questions it because it's Halloween. So he can just move around with a knife and a mask on, and you know. Yeah, there's there's a whole kind of psychological dissertation you could do about the use of the mask. Um, well, you know, espe- that's what the Rob Zombie movies became, right? Yeah. And especially such a, such a blank expressionless mask. You know, I always, um, I, I remember, uh, sending, I sent into Joe Bob my theory as to why Michael Myers is the way he is. And I won't get too deep into it, but I talked about the, I mentioned the fact that the mask is like, um, it's sort of like the same thing with the head tilt with Bob. Like Michael Myers, whatever's going on upstairs, I, I, I get the sense with his use of that mask and the way he looks at people that he, when he looks out at the world, he sees this like chaotic, like jumble of individuality. And, but meanwhile, like inside, he feels like dead. He feels nothing. And he can't connect. He can't connect with the, the outside world like that. He can't connect with people uh, like that, the way people normally connect. And he can't deal with, you know, mentally deal with, you know, these kind of screaming, laughing, boisterous, you know, chaotic things around him all the time. And so when he plants that knife in Bob and then he does the head tilt, it's... In, to my mind, it, it just, I always think like, I made you like me. You're like me now. And I like that. You know, like now you're, you're as dead as I feel. And now you're not chaotic and I understand you. <laughs> That's an interesting theory. Okay. <laughs> just, uh, you've certainly thought about this yeah i'm gonna when i when i finally do a doctorate that's what i'm gonna (laughs) 
<laughs> That's what I'm going to write about. My word. <laughs> um, you know, and then we get, uh, so, so Lori flees the house. Nobody wants to help the screaming girl on Halloween night. It's the seventies. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> like they're turning their lights off. Well, that's the thing. No, I, I don't. And, and that's the, um, this is my favorite scene of the movie is when she's running from one house to the other because it's the most tense. Yeah. Right. Because he is right behind her. He's following her. So she knows he's right there. Um, but she's banging on the uh, neighbor's door and screaming that she needs help. And the neighbors acknowledge that she's there and they look out. You can see the, the yeah. thing and then uh, someone looking out and then shutting the lights off because they think she's a hopped up teenager. They think she's yeah. because she's a teenager. That's what I thought Carpenter was trying to get across. Like if it was a full grown adult, maybe someone would have opened the door or if it was a little kid, someone would have opened the door and said, Oh my God, are you okay? Yeah. yeah. You know, but because it was a teenager and it's Halloween, like, oh, it's Halloween. These teenagers are all hopped up on something, you know, <laughs> so hopped, just, hopped up on the uh, rhino. <laughs> <laughs> right. Out there doing horse. <laughs> <laughs> so but um, um but they and and they ignore her because of that because they think she's just some crazy hopped up teenager yeah yeah and the and, the and thing- there's a de- and that and that becomes you know that that and then there's a desperation that really creeps in when that happens because yeah, it's not there's, that there's a nobody- little bit of go ahead yeah well well there's a little bit of hope that they're actually going to open the door in that moment um because the lights are on so there's a little bit of hope that, okay, maybe she can run inside and, and they can call the police and there's a little bit of hope there. But when they shut the, the lights off, she's all alone. That's it. Yeah. yeah she's and she in a, knows it. She's in a neighborhood so, full of people and she's yet all alone. And you feel that desperation. And that's why it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie is because that's when you feel not only the, that tension that Michael is right there, but that desperate no hope like there's there's almost like 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 a trapped rat you know like the scratching at the walls anything please 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 somebody help me please 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 that this trapped rat feeling and and carpenter just portrays that beautifully and it's it's that's that's why this movie is my favorite movie you know of all time because i've never felt so much tension and so much desperation watching something than I did when I watched first watched the movie. Right. Right. And, and you get, uh, you get the breathing, you hear, you hear Michael, which is, becomes a theme in, in all of the, the, the best, you know, Halloweens to even the worst Halloweens. Um, they, the best ones capture that, that sense of just that hearing because his, his breathing, like you do have like the moment with Annie where he struggles and everything, but through the majority of the franchise, it's, it, it builds a feeling of like his breathing pretty much never changes. Like this is Tuesday, you know, (laughs) Michael is Zen. Yeah. (laughs) He's keeping calm. But and then, and then you get uh, tired Tommy, <laughs> and apparently when Tommy be, when t- when little Tommy gets tired he com- he becomes a moron, 
<laughs> and you're just you're screaming at your TV like just kids are the worst. What? What? <laughs> Who, who's out there? What? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he does then get one of the the best lines of the movie. You can't kill the boogeyman. And um, that was part of one thing that that was a brilliant. And the the timing of that was just brilliant. Oh yeah! Immediately after he says that, Michael's they they see Michael coming up the stairs. Yeah, and that was actually one of the concepts when John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were developing the script. They there was like a whole. They went in their initial treatment. They went like on a deeper dive into you know the celebration of sam hain and halloween and it's like deeper meanings and the concept of deathless evil you know and they wanted they wanted you to get that feeling that here is this this flesh and blood guy but yet he embodies this concept of like you can't kill the boogeyman evil doesn't die evil you know keeps coming year after year to get you and you have to year after year fight it off you know and that was part of like old halloween concepts um so we get uh and and we we even get a thing here where the kids run the kids flee the house he doesn't go after the kids he's all about lori he wants lori um and that also becomes that also becomes a thing like he doesn't seem to be interested like there's i don't know if it's if it's necessarily that he identifies with little kids or if he just doesn't care, there's something about innocent children or something, but he doesn't seem to be like, you know, like uh, Lonnie runs right into him earlier in the movie and he just kind of grabs well, Lonnie and then lets Lonnie go. They touch on that in the 2018 movie where the baby's right there and he walks past the baby. He looks, he stops and he looks at the baby and then he turns his head back and he walks on and I, and David Gordon green did that on purpose. Yeah. And not, so not ripe like, yet. He... <laughs> they're, they're not ripe yet. Right. <laughs> too, too easy. There's no challenge. But yeah, so then he gets, uh, he gets stuck with the most implausible weapon ever, the wire hanger to the eye. <laughs> <laughs> And and so far uh, up to this point, he's been he's been stabbed in the throat with the knitting needle, uh, stabbed yep. in the eye with the wire hanger, and then uh, Lori then uh, gets the knife and stabs him in the chest. Um, but then we get uh, the shot, one of the greatest. The chest or the stomach? She stabs him in the stomach, doesn't she? It could be. It Is could it be. Chest? It may be mid. I thought it was. I thought mid, it was right in the gut. Mid thorax. <laughs> we'll meet in the middle. <laughs> Split the diff. <laughs> Split the diff. Um, but then we get the one of the iconic shots that gets they they try to repeat it over and just like the head tilt because you get the head tilt, you get the breathing, and you get the Undertaker rise. <laughs> Rise, my minion. <laughs> oh, my Undertaker. <laughs> and it, but it's the most effective shot. It's it's over uh, Jamie Lee's shoulder. She's like, she's like, uh, like she's finally like she's horrified. She's traumatized, but she's finally getting that like, 
oh, I can breathe. Like, he's dead. Like, she totally thinks he's dead. I can breathe. And then in the background behind her, you just see him pop up and look. You know, like, it's on, like, Donkey Kong. <laughs> and uh, He said that under his mask. Yeah. <laughs> Real quick. It's, it's, it's on, like, Donkey Kong. In between his deep breaths. (laughs) In a a quiet, strangely high-pitched voice. (laughs) Oh, I got you, you bitch! (laughs) Oh, it's on now, you got bitch! Was that a fucking wire hanger? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um... So the the kids running down the street, they that's what draws Loomis. Loomis now like is like aha, <laughs> and yeah. um, and then, of course they have the struggle on the staircase. We finally see his his grown face, which is uh, uh, Tony Moran's face, and um, but then we get the Loomis comes in to save the day. I shot him six times. <laughs> he just unloads that that gun into him and uh and, and then yeah. comes the greatest part of the movie which is well it's not the greatest part of the movie but it's one of the greatest parts of the movie is the look we have to talk about the look at the end when michael's body is missing and loomis realizes it he has that look on his face what what's he what's going on in his head yeah. is it i knew that was going to happen you know, even if I shot him or because we don't, you know, the whole I shot him six times. He's not human doesn't happen until Halloween, too. And you get that reopening of the, the movie yeah. where he's running out. and He's going, I shot him six times. I shot him six times. He shoot, shoots him six times and he falls and he's, his body's missing. And he looks out. And I'm not sure what he's what's going through his head. Yeah. And of course, then then Jamie Lee, uh, you know, says it was the boogeyman, and Loomis looks back at her and says, "As a matter of fact, it was." <laughs> I can't wait for the Rob Zombie uh, episode on that part. <laughs> um, and then and then the the end of the movie is is really great. You get the the recap of the entire crime scene, um, but it's all devoid of people. It's all just shots of the rooms, the stairs, the porch, the street, and there's no one. Where and, it's a it, it's a where is he? Yeah, and all you then all you hear is the breathing. Right, he's yeah. somewhere. You just don't know where he is. Yeah, because you hear the breathing over all of those shots. Yeah. So he could be he could be in the hallway, he could be in the living room, he could be outside. So. So real quick before we get into the other the other films, um, just a few things that kind of came to mind. Like what? So we know a lot of filmmakers, horror movie filmmakers, were inspired by this film. Um, what kind of tropes do you think? What became tropes came out of this? <clears throat> the falling didn't she fall? Yeah. On the way over. Yeah, yeah, the, she the yeah, she classic slips on the, the grass or whatever and damsel slips, you know, as the killer is chasing, you know, chasing her down. 
Um, the the Black Christmas was, I think, it was the 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 kind of that female, that strong female lead survivor. Yeah. Right. I mean, Black Christmas, uh, maybe, um, or Texas Chainsaw, maybe. But um, yeah. Well, and I think I think more in this one than than even Texas Chainsaw. Texas Chainsaw, like when you watch that, she literally the 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 final girl in that. I mean, is is absolutely out of her gourd, uh, scared. Um, she is like, she's simply like you talked about, like a caged animal. Like she is, she is, uh, has, is of mindless purpose. Like, get well, away. She lo- yeah, she completely lost her mind. Yeah. Whereas Lori Strode, um, even though she's obviously super traumatized by what is happening, um, seems to keep like a strange sense about her. Like she's, she, she. I think more so kind of puts forward that idea of like the, the final girl who like the events of the film uh, make her kind of crystallize into, you know, whatever she finds some strength out of what's going on. Well, she fights back. Yeah. She, she, she actually attacks Michael as opposed to in Texas Chainsaw. She really was just trying to get, just running, like, just running, just running. She was just ran. She jumped out the window. Right. Right. And because that was the whole thing. She survives until the dinner and then she was at the dinner and she got away at the dinner and, and then she ran, jumped out the window and down the road and that's yeah. when she just got away. Yeah. She didn't really, she wasn't that fighter kind of uh, heroine style that I think Laurie Strode became. And then that got copied after in Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, and then in, uh, in Nightmare on Elm Street. So, you know, and and why why is this like our favorite movie of, of all time? Our favorite horror movie? Oh, boy. Um, well, I alluded to it earlier. Um, the atmosphere that John Carpenter sets um, in the movie that... that that tension that he's able to build and then uh, all leading up to that final scene um, and, and that, that, that desperation that you feel, he, he just makes you feel the whole movie. It, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's really well directed. Um, I think the the star of the movie is John Carpenter when it comes down to it. The, the, I think the movie could have been made by another director and not have had nearly a quarter of the impact yeah. that Halloween has had. I, I, I think the real star of the movie isn't really Jamie Lee Curtis. I, I don't think it's Michael Myers, the character of Michael Myers. I really think it was John Carpenter. Um, and, and that's why it just didn't, you know, all the subsequent movies just never even came close. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, of course, you know, Loomis kind of uh, sums it up best in, in his classic uh, partial monologue. You know, I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. You know? Yeah, and, and certainly the mask does it. The, the, the effectiveness of that blankness 
that emotionless. That, and the that fact that you can't see his eyes. Well, yeah, it's just the idea. Well, yeah, it's 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 he's kind of like because that speech is very um, similar to Quint's speech in Jaws a yeah. little bit, right? So the, these there's no bargaining with. Michael Myers, there's no way to get out of it. You can't talk your way out. Like you're, if he has his, if he's set on you, he's a shark on land. He's a killer shark, right? <laughs> he's a killer shark in baggy ass drawers. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> we'll get to that there, line. There, <laughs> You'll yeah, understand sure. where that one comes from. <laughs> um, and then you know, on top of everything, I think. You know, Donald Pleasance was just brilliant, just absolutely brilliant. Um, the lines were good. The lines that he had to deliver were good, but the 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 way he delivered them, just he was a master. Yeah. And then we get Halloween two. Oh boy, nineteen eighty one, directed by Rick Rosenthal, who has the inauspicious. Well- uh, title of directing two oh. of what are considered the worst movies of the franchise. Mm, yep. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> he directed Halloween 2 and then he directed Halloween Resurrection. Yes, he did. <laughs> I, 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 you know, and Halloween 2 was a serviceable movie. By no means was it great. It's, you know, and I know in my conception... You know, even with the problematic nature of five, you know, and six is way off the wall. But, you know, the four, five and six trilogy, the the Mark of Thorn trilogy still has some sort of strange magic that Halloween 2 never quite captured. Yeah, I think um I well, it was a movie that I don't that John Carpenter didn't really want made. Yeah. Yeah, he thought and it I was done, it, it was comes, over. I well I think it comes out. You know, I think it comes I, I think you see it in the final product. Um so they you know, with the mask, um, you know, they had they got someone different. I don't know if you have anything on why Nick Castle wasn't available for Nick the Castle one was actually uh, he had started his directing career. Okay, and I think he was on uh, doing another another film um, at the time. So they got uh, uh, famed uh, stuntman Dick Warlock. Dick Warlock. Yep. And of course, Dick Warlock is not the same build as Nick Castle, so he fit the suit different. He um, and he fit the mask different. The mask, I think, um, what no one realizes, and correct me if I'm wrong with your notes there, but um, the mask that they do use in the second one is the original mask. It just fit. It was sitting in Deborah Hill's yeah it, drawer desk it, drawer for it, it three aged, years, or it was, it or it was under her they, bed or something like that. They tried to yeah, they it, tried to proof it up a little bit, but um, yeah. unfortunately, one of the things they found, I remember Tommy Lee Wallace. Uh, commenting that the um, spray paint that was used to whiten the original Shatner mask um, mm-hmm. had a, a, a bad effect on the latex. 
Right. And so over time, you know, you got some some disintegration, it, some it yellowed. Yeah. Like it almost yellowed the the mask a little bit. Um, yeah. So it, it it's the same mask, but it doesn't look like it. Um, it right. There are shots in the movie. If you watch closely, there are shots in the movie where you can see that it is the original mask. Yeah. It's shot a certain way uh, with the shadows and everything. You can see how it how it is the original mask. Yeah. Um, and, of course, we get uh, Jamie Lee and Donald Pleasant's return. Um, we get Lance Guest. With a wig, by the way. Oh, yeah, Jamie Lee with a wig because she had already cut her she hair. She had short. already cut her hair. Yep, she had already yep. cut her hair uh, in the style she would be known throughout the 80s with. Um, and uh, she had already done that, so she had to wear that wig. And that shows. Which... That shows. You oh. can tell right away it's a wig. Um, but we get Lance Guest as Jimmy the EMT. He's, uh, of course, famous for his turn in the film The Last Starfighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have uh, a bevy of people. Uh, you know, we got nurses. Uh, some great actresses uh, play the various nurses. Um, we get uh, now, of course, they show that with the death of Annie Brackett, Sheriff Brackett is off the board. He is, you know, devastated. He's got to go console his wife, and so we get the stand-in Brackett, uh, Deputy Gary Hunt, played by Hunter Von Leer. You know, go home, go home, sheriff. <laughs> you know, he's got that that strange uh, midwestern twang to his voice. Um, and uh, we get Dick Warlock as the shape, who also uh, he he doubles in the movie. He does get you do get to see Dick Warlock's face. He is uh, listed as Patrolman Number Three. So if you if you figure out who Patrolman Number Three is in the film, you'll see Dick Warlock. Um, and then, uh, we get the incomparable Bud Scarlatti as the secondary EMT, Leo Rossi, who is perpetually horny. Um, and also, He's my favorite. he also played the serial killer Turkle in Maniac Cop 2. Um, yes, he did. And the funny part is actually, I, I, when I read that, he actually also was in Maniac Cop Part 1. But in that he played, uh, he was uncredited, but he played the mayor's chief of staff. And uh, he is a, a very serviceable actor. Like, he's one of those guys that, like, you, you, you don't know him to hear the name. But if you see his face, you've seen him in I recognize 20 him million right away. things. Absolutely. He, he has a long history in film and TV. Um, yes, you get... Uh, there's the character of Alice Martin, played by Ann Bruner, who's the neighbor girl who gets killed. Um, she's actually the technically the fourth teenage victim of the Halloween night murders. Um, Ford Rainey is Dr. Mixter, drunken Dr. Mixter. And uh, also, I found out, and I didn't realize this, and maybe I knew it once and then forgot it, but you have uh, the very first film... Uh, with Dana Carvey in it. Dana Carvey plays... I uh, did know that, yes. He plays the assistant to a reporter that's on the street in front of uh, one of the houses, and and you see him only from the side, and he's wearing a blue trucker cap, and the reporter's giving him a bunch of instructions to go and get, like, B-roll and side, you know, interviews with people, 
And apparently he was supposed to actually have like a larger part. And then he showed up on the day and they cut all his lines out and he just stood there and went like nodded his head. <laughs> but that's Dana Carvey. And then it was then he developed Church Lady. <laughs> and so that was a blessing. And just only for the fact that it's interesting. So in the first film, they keep talking about Ben Tramer, how much Ben Tramer likes Lori, and why doesn't Lori, you know, give Ben Tramer a shot? And so um, in this movie, we we find out what happens to poor Ben Tramer uh, as played by a guy named uh, Jacques Verbois. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ben Tramer does not end well. No, um, no it so, doesn't. So this movie was intended to conclude the story of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. When asked in 1982, Carpenter said, The shape is dead. Pleasance's character is dead too, unfortunately, after the end of the film. And so he had no intention of carrying this franchise forward he's like they're paying me to to write this thing and and uh and finish it off and that's what he intended to do um he and deborah hill wrote the script again um when asked about writing it uh carpenter uh said that he sat in front of the typewriter and asked himself what the fuck am i doing i don't know (laughs) and then he started writing You kind of get that from this movie. That's what I was saying earlier. <laughs> yeah. You watch this movie and you get exactly that. Yeah. You know? yep. And uh, so, and he made Lori, Lori Michael's sister just to try to in- inject some drama or some stakes into what he thought was a silly story. He was trying to like make something like, why are we revisiting this? Oh, okay. We find out she's his sister and that's why he's like obsessed with her. Right. Um, and he tried to include like an undertone of how Halloween is not safe, that it's a chaotic, unsafe holiday. Um, evils walking with abroad. the apple and the razor blade. The kid, yeah, the, the kid in the beginning yeah. comes in with razor blade cuts from eating sure. a, a a sabotaged apple. Right. Um, so you know, you get some some good things, some bad things. Dick Warlock, he tried to incorporate the Undertaker rise in in this film. Uh, he does the head tilt, you know. That's he. He watched Nick Castle's performance in the first one and tried to like see what he could take, you know, and and continue the characterization. Um, let's see. Yeah, Nick Castle. Um, he actually ended up. Uh, he directed the last Starfighter, and he cast Lance Guest as the main character in that because of his performance in this film. He saw he saw the movie and he's like, "That's the guy I want to play the last Starfighter." Um, let's see. It was almost in 3D. It was all, we almost got Halloween two in 3D, but the process was too expensive. Um, and of course, part of the things that make that does make this feel like it's a continuation of the same night is the cinematography. Dean Dean Cundy you know, was like John Carpenter's cinematographer for, you know, years. And when you think of 80s horror films and, like, the way they look and the style that, you know, the, the that the best ones would have, like, it's that Dean Cundy look. Like, there's a way he shoots and the way he lights things and stuff that just produces... He's not afraid of lens flare. 
you know, mm-hmm. and it, it just has a certain look to it where when you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is like a great 80s horror movie. Right. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so Carpenter wrote it to be gorier and bloodier than Halloween 1 because now it's like it's the 80s. That's what sells. Um, and and I never knew this. He actually stepped in to reshoot some of the sequences. Yes. To make it gorier and scarier because uh, he saw Rick Rosenthal's first cut and said it was about as scary as an episode of Quincy MD. Right. <laughs> yep. And then Rosenthal said, Carpenter ruined my movie. <laughs> Which, if we see Halloween Resurrection, I think we all know that's not true. <laughs> um, it was the second grossing, highest grossing horror film of 1981 behind an American werewolf in London, although it had a better opening weekend. Um, And it inspired murders, supposedly. Uh, There was the Halloween 2 murders, the media called them. December 7th, 1982, a guy named Richard Delmer Boyer murdered an elderly couple uh, named Francis and Eileen Harbitz in Fullerton, California. And the trial took place in 1989. The couple was stabbed... uh, 43 times between the two of them and Boyer's defense was that he suffered from hallucinations brought on by Halloween 2 which he had viewed while on PCP weed and booze is it possible and uh, <laughs> now I'm, I'm no you know detective or anything like that but is it possible that it was maybe the PCP <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it might have been Rick Rosenthal's Halloween 2 that did it. <laughs> well, oftentimes when you hear, always hear these stories about, oh, they were listening to Marilyn Manson before, you know, they did the X, Y, and Z. Oh, and by the way, they were on bath salts. Yeah. Why did I Maybe burn? Maybe it was the bath salts and not Marilyn Manson. Why did I burn down that orphanage? Because of the beautiful people. <laughs> So, uh, Boyer was found guilty, sentenced to death. <laughs> so, it did not, yeah. that defense did not work out for him. Didn't hold up, did it? Hmm. <laughs> no. And so, um, we get the we get the weird recap. They, like, do the recap where the, it's a mix of, like, shots from the original plus reshot stuff. They actually yeah. changed the position where Loomis is when he sees that Michael's gone instead of being on the the balcony or the the little balcony outside the window he's now like out in front of the house on the well he runs down the state right yeah yeah Yeah. um so let's see oh and and right in the beginning another great loomis line uh a neighbor runs out and wants to know what's going on and the neighbor's like and it's such a it's such a written line, but but Donald yeah. Pleasant still makes it work. The neighbor says, "I've been trick or treated to death tonight." You don't know what death is. Yep. And uh, and Carpenter, I think, still worked on the score, but the score is like more electronic now. He wanted to jazz it up eighty style. 
and wow. uh, and we get the the new opening in the in the first one they had the the classic what's now classic the jack o' lantern the slow pushing on the jack o' lantern in this one they wanted to change it up and so now the jack o' lantern splits open and reveals a skull um it starts off again from michael's perspective they get the breathing in there um he murders the neighbor girl alice so you know the opening sequence uh, if uh, just to go back a little bit yeah. the whole uh, michael being on the on the loose and her hearing the reports on the radio and the person on the you know yeah she's talking, she's talking on the phone to her friend, friend yeah on the yeah and, and her friend is like oh did you hear about the murders tonight and what murders oh my god that's in that's down the street yeah, you know, and so she realizes that now all of a sudden, this is a lot closer than I'm comfortable with. Oh yeah, and uh, and, and that and so that whole uh, opening sequence I thought was actually pretty effective. That actually, I don't think the movie, I don't think the movie goes downhill until it just it, it starts getting into. Um, I, I actually don't hate the hospital part of it either and 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 laurie trying to get away and stuff like that but when they start getting into um nurse uh chambers is that right the yeah nurse? yeah she shows up like she's when been she sent there by shows the governor up and she, yeah. why 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 did the governor send you it's the same night what it's what? like the <laughs> yeah right that's what i mean but like why did the governor like who are you that the the yeah you know, you were just the the nurse that was like a, a escorting. Yeah, this you just know, happened Loomis a day ago. Anyone. Right? <laughs> Did you get promoted overnight? Like, what what happened? <laughs> so, uh, when when that starts happening, and then they start showing the the scene in the in the hospital when Lori is walking in and she sees Michael sitting there and he stares back at her and you know that whole that's when the movie just starts to gear. Yeah, the whole sister thing creeps in, and and it just starts to fall apart. Yeah, it really, it really could have. Uh, you really didn't need the recap. It really could have started with the viewpoint of Michael moving through those back alleys. You see Loomis like at the end of the one alley, and he's like directing cop cars, like over here, over here, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You could have seen all that, and then had the phone conversation and the news report on the TV, and and all this kind of stuff. And you could have had all that and known what was going on. It would That would have been an amazing way to provide exposition to set us up to know where we are. You right. know, you didn't really need that. It's another kind of like Rick Rosenthal, like he, he has these like tiny like moments of like, I know what I'm doing. And then, but yet somehow doesn't quite ever get it just right. Like he, right. he starts getting there and then, Oh, I'll do this cool thing now, you know, <laughs> like I'll throw this in, <laughs> and then it's like, no, Rick, no, you didn't, you didn't need that, bud. <laughs> we were, we were interested, <laughs> but uh, and of course, uh, Loomis now he's shot, shot him six times, and uh, Michael's on the loose, doesn't know where he is, and this is where you start to see Loomis start to unravel a bit. Because even he's now like, uh, kind of like horrified by what's going on. Like, how is he still up and moving around? And he's like, his fear level jumps. Well, it's his, 
I don't know that his fear level jumps as much as it's his fears realized. Yeah. Like he had like you so the the original Halloween, he gives the big speech, right? This guy is, you know, evil on two legs. Essentially, <clears throat> he knows he is. But again, there's this idea of hope that he can be stopped. And, it- and then when he shoots him six times, that hope is now gone. Yeah. He now he knows he everything that I feared with this guy is 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 now become realized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get And you. so he starts to un he starts to go a little bit. <laughs> so then then of course we get the the unfortunate end of poor Ben Tramer. As as Ben Tramer, oh is, poor Ben Tramer! As Ben Tramer is walking down the street, who he just happened to shop at the same store that Michael did when Michael was getting his mask, and here comes Ben Tramer, um, which we later find out from two friends. Ben Tramer is drunk as a skunk, and that's yeah. why he's walking so robotically, like Frankenstein, and not really reacting to anything in in any sort of amount of time. Um, he's strolling Drink responsibly, down... folks. Right. <laughs> yeah, don't be Ben Tramer. <laughs> he's walking down the street, drunk, wearing the, the white Shatner mask, carrying his bag of goodies. <laughs> and uh, and Drunk Lo- and wearing a mask. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Loomis sees him, flips the fuck out, <laughs> and pulls his gun. Oh, no, no. <laughs> he's there. <laughs> And uh, and Ben Tramer uh, is, doesn't know what's going on. There's an old man screaming at him, pointing a gun at him in the street, and then and apparently a cop going 125 <laughs> miles an hour down a residential road. And out of nowhere, yeah, the crime scene. This cop, this deputy, he he's uh, deputy do right, and he's tearing ass down the street to get to the scene of the crime, and Good doesn't Lord. see Ben. And this is another uh, PSA, kids. You know, wear reflectors, carry a flashlight, let people see you on Halloween. <laughs> look and look both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Please, look both ways. And so this cop just careens into Ben Tramer and jams Ben poor Ben Tramer. He just he loves Lori Strode. She he he can't get up the gumption to ask her out. She doesn't seem interested. He's drunk he's probably that's probably why Ben's drunk. He's probably like Lori. Why? Why? Why can't we make this work? <laughs> and he's and he gets sandwiched in between the the cop car and another vehicle, some truck, and then, as in every '80s movie, that police car instantly bursts into flames and burns poor Ben Tramer alive. <laughs> and we get uh, you know, Brackett learns of Annie's death and and huge dichotomy and this is i know one of your favorite subjects between bracket learning about annie's death in halloween 2 versus mm. bracket learning about annie's death in halloween 2 right in in that in Rob Zombie zombies version, version. Mm. and the very and, underrated scene yeah and there there's a huge difference like sheriff bracket takes this really ah! well <laughs> you know? <laughs> in the original Halloween too, yeah. he is uh, a lot more stoic. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and of course, Loomis is out there on the street. He's freaking everybody out. You know, there's this crowd of people, and he's very loudly telling uh, Deputy Hunt, "He's still out there." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like everybody's like, "What? What did he just say?" <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Um. So, and this this is the oddest thing that Michael learns that Lori is at the hospital because he happens to hear he's walking through downtown Haddonfield, and he happens right. to hear a news report on news a kid's boombox. Um, and that sequence I found out was actually, that's one of the sequences that was shot by Carpenter. Um, about That where, makes sense. Yeah, where Michael's... It was one of the better shots in the movie. So. Yeah, Michael's walking down the street. And, and it, it is kind of creepy because he's walking amongst all these people. And it's very reminiscent of the original. Yeah. That scene. Yeah, he's walking amongst all these people and they have no idea who is walking past them. Right. Just out on the street. It's Halloween. <laughs> and, right? of course, it's a it's a 1980s film, so he gets into the hospital because of a lazy security guard who's not properly monitoring his cameras. Um, Mr. Garrett, played by actor Cliff Emmerich, yep. just lets him into the building. Um, let's see. And then, of course, we start... That's when we start to get the concepts of the sister thing comes in. It, it starts with... Lori learning from Jimmy, the EMT, uh, that it was Michael Myers who... She doesn't know. She didn't know up to now who this was. She refers Mm -hmm. to him as the boogeyman, because that's what Tommy calls him. Uh, But then she finally learns that it was Michael Myers, and she asks Jimmy, why me? You know, so we start to get that first seed planted of, you know, her questioning this stuff. Um... So, you know, we find out that, uh, uh, but she starts having visions like she, she, yeah, she starts having these like weird, like dreams and things possibly from the meds that she's, and been this given. is where it starts to go off the rails. This is where the movie really starts to yeah get, get weird. Yeah. Lori begins to remember, um, we get, uh, we get some, some kind of goofy kills in the therapy room that's where that's where bud and nurse karen go to hook up um it's the most involved at work hookup ever who the hell sneaks down to like a a a whirlpool hot tub and (laughs) and strips down naked at work (laughs) like 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 they'll never be found (laughs) you don't strip down naked at work (laughs) Like, like they would be instantly fired. Um, you know, and of course, Mike t- turns up the heat. Michael turns up the heat on the, uh, the thing. So Bud's got to go check the valves. Bud gets strangled. And then uh, kind of a, a crazy kill. That's when Michael, like, just is planting Nurse Karen's face into the scalding into the hot, hot water. water. And her face is right. coming up like more. Which his hand is also going into the water and is exactly and i also and people people laugh at my theory but that's why i say i think he has that condition where you can't feel pain like your pain receptors are all dead because but even so the skin would be like like her skin was like yeah her skin was starting to peel off and bubble (laughs) but his hand was just fine yeah yeah um yeah so then and then Lori gets out of the hospital Lori makes Mm. it out the door Yep. She she could go anywhere. And anywhere what does she, she do? Wants. 
She hides in one of the cars. She hides in one of the cars. Right outside. She tries to get away. Well, it wasn't... Yeah, that was silly. <laughs> um, but she was limping, right? So it's not like she wasn't hurt. She was still hurt. Right. So how far could she go before she would try to get out of sight? You know, she also wants to get out of sight, too. She doesn't want to be open, you know, running around in the open. Yeah. Um, so she jumps in one of the cars, and then she finds Jimmy in there. Yeah. Well, J- well, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, he comes out after he he happens. It happens to be Jimmy's car. She she yeah. doesn't know. It just right. happens to be his car. So he gets in yep. his car, and he's got a. And then he he's got a concussion. on the right, and he collapses on the steering wheel, which is the horn. Yeah. And the horn goes off, and now <laughs> Michael knows exactly where she is. This is this is the Keystone Cops section of the movie. Well, I was going to say it was a little comedic. It was a little silly. Yeah, sure. But yeah, so uh, yeah, and this is another thing that gets me. Uh, they they at one point they show a shot. There's people still out on the street, just walking. It's all over the news. Michael's out. He's on the loose. <laughs> There's just pe- none of these people have gone home. <laughs> well, you know, their body, their choice. <laughs> and of course, right. then we get the big reveal. Uh, you know, Marion Chambers, like we talked about, she shows up with a, a marshal. I don't know how the hospital or the, they they pull a marshal to go with her to bring Loomis back, to bring him back to uh, Smith's Well, it, it was by order of the governor. So yeah. They send, they send the state trooper. Yes. So, uh, but it's during that, that time period that she reveals to Loomis, like, ah, they, they should have shown you the file. I told them they should have. Like, I don't know how she had access to this information and yeah. he didn't. Yeah. When, when, <laughs> when I was in that top secret meeting... <laughs> Why are you in top secret? Who are you, Nurse Chambers? <laughs> what is your she, life? She she is Scarlett Johansson's character in Iron Man 2. She I was, was a plant <laughs> to go with Loomis because they were right. like, hey, we got a feeling Loomis is going to fuck up this transfer. You need to go with him and report everything. <laughs> and then somehow gets an ice skate in her skull. Uh, in H2O, but we'll yeah. talk about that. And so, uh, yeah, so Marion Chambers, she reveals to Loomis that in the secret file, it has the information that Lori Strode is actually Michael Myers' sister, that the, the her real parents are dead, that they died in like a car accident or something, and she was adopted out to the Strodes. And um, and it's been this big secret for whatever reason. Why it was like a huge secret, I don't know. Um, so then, of course, Loomis uh, being he Loomis. I, I hope it's not a car accident because then they just repeat that when now Lori yeah. is, gets into a car accident right. in, in in four. Right. Yeah. Uh, so now Loomis decides to to Loomis it up. They don't know how to drive in Illinois. <laughs> Loomis pulls a gun on the marshal <laughs> and is like, take me back. <laughs> right. So, um, which you thought they probably would have known that he had a gun or would have, <laughs> yeah. right? Like the, the, like the marshal wouldn't disarm him before going right. back. Right. So now, uh, Lori's out, you know, she's in the car with Jimmy. Jimmy's 
unconscious. She gets his head off the steering wheel, so that whole thing stops. And then she's she's crawling her way out of the car. And this is when Loomis, Nurse Chambers, and the Marshal pull up, and they're going into the hospital. And all of a sudden, Lori is a complete invalid who can't scream and can't call for help until until the door closes <laughs> and they can't hear her anymore. Then she gets it out. Then she, then gets, she gets it, gets it out. out. Yeah, it's very yep. classic. Like it's so tropey horror movie. Help me. Yeah. Help me. <laughs> Click. Help. Yeah. <laughs> I said help. I said. <laughs> so Lori goes back to the hot. So she's seen them run in. And her first answer is, I'm going to go back into the hospital that I know Michael Myers is in just to But the cop's them. in there. Well, yeah, the, now there's a marshal in there. But it's still kind of goofy that she would go back in. Um, well, you want to be around the guy with the gun. Yeah. And we get to the end, and we get the the surgery room. And this is where mm-hmm. Loomis and Lori kind of get trapped. There's no, There's one door in. One door out. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael breaks through the door. Loomis's gun is empty, and that Loomis gets stabbed in the guts. That's where, like you know, Loomis is supposed to already be dying. In know? that case, it was probably a good thing. It was just a scalpel. <laughs> he probably got lucky because he ended up surviving. Well, I mean, he survived. Come the fourth one, I yeah. guess he was supposed to be dead. Yeah, he was supposed one, to be yeah. dead at the end of. The, so he's he's like dying. He's like right. stabbed in the guts. He's he he knows his time is near. Um, and Lori, who we don't know all of Lori's backstory, but I mean, it it we don't know that she's ever been trained on how to use a gun. She's another top secret operative of the gov- <laughs> of the governor. So she she somehow puts two right in Michael's head, and and we're left to assume it's either his eyes or close to his eyes, um, because the blood starts pouring out of the eye holes. Yeah, he starts yep. wildly swinging around, and that's when Loomis gets some kind of strange idea about opening the gas. Right, and when he does, well, this, can we go back? First of all, Lori does have good aim. Um, go back to the first one, and she got the. Um, the clothes hanger right in his eye. Right. That's right. that's 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 yeah. It's he did something there. Good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not an easy shot. So you know, don't be surprised that she can just bam, bam, put one in each eye. So we're already uh, two hours in, so we may have to make this episode. I think we're going to have to do part two. We're going to have to do part two for our next episode coming up in in two weeks. And I think it makes sense to separate the first two movies. Yeah, because really they are their own their own creature. Right. Although her arc then continues later. Correct. Yeah. Um, but to kind of wrap wrap things up, um, you know, the end of it, uh, Lori gets put into an ambulance. She's obviously traumatized. She's like totally, you know, uh, just zoned out. And the ambulance drives off. It's like a foggy morning. Um, and it just ends with a shot of Michael's flaming mask still burning in the hospital. 
And yeah, Mr. Sandman, what the, this is something I wanted to cover. It opens with Mr. Sandman and closes with Mr. Sandman. Why? What the fuck is that? <laughs> Does it... <laughs> No, it doesn't make doesn't any make sense. any sense no. whatsoever. None. I mean, it's, it would it's be more, interesting. Would it be more? Wouldn't that be more like Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, yeah. You I would mean, play it's play that for Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. It's interesting, but it's like, what? You, what is that? Why? You hear that new line? You missed the boat on that. <laughs> so now this came out the same year as Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, which mm. is the better sequel. Friday the 13th Part 2, because Friday the 13th Part 2 is the best Friday the 13th. <laughs> That's right, I said it. So Part 2 where he's got the, the burlap sack on his head? Yep. Oh, okay. Alright. <clears throat> In my, it, and that can, that'll be, I'm sure that'll we'll be get into that. Episode. We'll get but into we'll that get in a future it. episode. Um, all right. So, all right. So yeah, so that's what we'll, uh, we'll stop there um, because, you know, I kind of didn't even realize, I knew we were going to get into some stuff and really talk about these movies, but I didn't even it's realize. It's a lot to unpack. Yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, in retrospect, trying to do four movies and especially ones that we like so much all in one sitting is a little too much. So our next episode, we're going to do these bi-weekly. Our next episode that we're going to do, I'm, I'm going to. So twice a week. Twice a week. I'm going to. Dr- no, <laughs> twice a week. No, no. Every well, other. Well, Every other week. (laughs) So um, I think I'm going to drop this on Wednesday. What about months with uh, fifth week? Don't worry about it. (laughs) So I think I'll drop these on Wednesdays. I think we'll have the show come out on Wednesday because usually like Sunday nights, I'm like getting ready to drop Liminal Unlimited. So Um, so this will come out on a Wednesday. We're not up to that level yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. Two more Wednesdays from then, we'll do Halloween H2O and Halloween Resurrection and finish out the story arc. Um, So thanks for anybody listening to this, for listening to our very first inaugural episode of Nosferat Dudes. Um, Yes, I'd like to thank our listener. (laughs) And, uh, and, And we... Thank you, Jen. (laughs) <laughs> and the only reason we're doing this is because we love horror movies so much and and you know we i think that i think that between you and i not that we're great philosophers about these things but i think that it's something a fun for us to do as best friends but b i think that after you know 38 years of you know shooting the shit about movies i think we do have something to add to the conversation um, we've got our own little weird pet theories about different films and sure. what they mean. And, um, if you just love horror movies and love shooting the shit about horror movies, like we do, uh, you can reach out to us. Uh, we, there is a Gmail set up. If anybody wants to write to us, it's nosferadudes at gmail.com. And, um, and yeah, hit us up and let us know what you think about Halloween 1 and 2. And do you think John Carpenter should have uh, paid more attention on the second one? <laughs> Just a little bit. Just but, a little uh, bit more effort. We'll all right. So, so please tune in uh, in two weeks for, for that episode. And we really appreciate you for listening. And I don't really have a, a way to close out these shows, so we just want to say 
Thank you. Bye. <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll catch you later. All right. Bye bye.